0: Give me a countdown. Good morning. Glad to be with you on this uh, this Sunday morning from Deep Springs Baptist Church, and I would like to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew's Gospel. And the seventh chapter, I'd like for you to turn with me to the seventh chapter of the gospel of Matthew. Now, one thing you might want to do, uh, I'm not asking you to do this, but it might be it might enrich your Bible study is to read the entire Sermon on the Mount. And that's Matthew chapters five through seven. I'm going to be uh, preaching or teaching from the conclusion of Jesus's message, uh, the Sermon on the Mount today. But you can read the Sermon on the Mount in its entirety in probably less than 15 minutes. I timed myself today, uh, that's, how, that's how bored we get sometimes when we're quarantined, but I, I actually timed myself reading the Sermon on the Mount and it was less than nine minutes and that was just reading at a normal pace. But that, would, that might enrich your Bible study this morning. But nevertheless, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 13. Jesus says these words Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on a rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, he will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. This is the word of the Lord. Now I'm going to speak to you on a very important topic this morning. Entitled, Are You on the Narrow Way? Are You on the Narrow Way? And so we'll begin looking at this discourse. And this was probably one of the the most widely known sermons that Jesus ever preached. Even people who don't profess to be believers in Jesus Christ or uh, followers of God, they are familiar with various portions of the Sermon on the Mount. In particular, the Beatitudes and what many have deemed as the golden rule and by the way the golden rule is not a means of obtaining salvation it's a way that safe people ought to live and the sermon on the mount is largely misunderstood because people uh, interpret it as a works-based uh, way to gain entrance into the kingdom of god and if you'll read the sermon on the mount sermon on the mount in its entirety you will see that jesus is showing that the righteousness by works the system of religion which says that man is uh, seeking to to please god in his own works is absolutely futile because the standard of the law is perfection god's standard of holiness is perfection most people don't have an appreciation for the absolute purity and the holiness of god i think the prophet isaiah put things in perspective saying that our righteousness that our own good works that they are like filthy rags in the sight of God. God's standard is perfection. And Jesus, he, he goes through, and uh, he goes through various descriptives of the law. And he says, you know, you, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But then he takes it a step farther. And he says, it's not just the letter of the law, but it's the spirit of the law. He says that if, we are, if we're bound by lust, if a man lusts in his heart, that he's committed adultery in his heart. Uh, he says, you read... Thou shalt not kill, but if we're angry, we hate our brother, then we are guilty of the the spirit of murder is on us. And so the demands of the kingdom of God are actually more stringent than the demands of the law because Jesus, uh, he deals with the intentions of the heart. Most, Most of the religions of the world fall into one category. Now, there are really two categories. And one thing I want you to, to, pay note, uh, to, to pay attention to as we're going through this particular passage of Scripture is there are, there are two choices. There's, the, uh, there's the, the narrow gate and the broad gate. There's the narrow way and the broad way. There is the, the good tree and then there's the bad tree. There's the good fruit, the bad fruit. There's the one who says, Lord, Lord, and then there's the one who does righteousness. There's the one who enters into life, and then there's the one who enters into destruction. There's the one who builds uh, upon the rock, and then there's the one who builds upon the sand. And, and they have, each one has a different end, a different destination. And so, really, in life, there are not a multiplicity of choices, a cornucopia, but there are really only two options. Either you have God's righteousness which is a God-given righteousness, which is the righteousness of Jesus Christ placed upon your account, or you have what uh, Judaism had become, and basically all of the other religions of the world, they have the same basic idea that man on his own, uh, he he attains unto righteousness by his own good works. And you've heard it expressed in many ways. Some people will say that... uh, Religion is like a mountain that people are climbing and uh, you come up one side of the mountain and someone else may go up another side of the mountain, but at the end, we are all end up in the same place. And that is absolutely an unbiblical concept. It's not true at all. You see, God's way of righteousness is through His Son, Jesus Christ. And all other religions are, are weak because they cannot attain unto the righteousness of God. Even on our best day, I think the psalmist psalmist said it this way. Man at his best state. In other words, even on our best day, we are altogether vanity. We are but dust. We are unrighteous. When Isaiah got a revelation of the Lord, he said three words. He said, woe is me. And Isaiah was a godly man uh, by, by human standards. But when he got a revelation of who God was, he said, woe is me. And so... We're going to pick up here in verse 13, and Jesus says, enter the narrow gate. Now, at the end of most of our sermons, most of us preachers on Sunday morning, we'll give an altar call. Sometimes we'll call it an invitation. This is not an invitation. This is a command. This is an imperative word in the Greek. He says, enter into the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. So let's talk a little bit about the narrow gate. Now, Christianity, by, uh, by definition, is a narrow way. Jesus made a lot of exclusive claims. John has the seven I am statements of Scripture. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He said, I am the door. There is no other way to enter in to the kingdom of heaven but by the door and Jesus is the door he said I am the bread of life he said I am the resurrection and the life he said I am the light of the world by its very nature christianity is exclusive in its claims of of Jesus being the only way to heaven so just by the virtue of the fact that Jesus is the only way christianity in itself is a narrow gate it is a narrow now the King James says enter by the straight gate not S T R A I G H T but S T R A I T which means narrow it means narrow it doesn't mean that there's, there's no uh, it's not crooked or whatever because if you if you know anything about serving God it's anything but walking a straight line there's hills and there's valleys and and uh, and, de- and there're detours but this this idea of being straight means it's narrow it means that there's a lot of people that are not gonna be able to get in. And you think about a narrow, a narrow doorway. You're not gonna be able to get in with a lot of baggage. Have you ever walked through a set of turnstiles? You can't get through it with a whole lot of encumbrances. You have to lay those aside so that you can get through the turnstiles. And going through the, the narrow gate means that you'll have to go by yourself. This is not a collective effort. You have to enter in by yourself. When you stand before God, you're not going to answer for your brother or for your sister. God's not going to ask you about your mom or your dad. You will give an account of God for yourself to God. And he's going to ask you, did you come in by the narrow gate? Because if you try to come in any other way, you will not be granted entrance into the kingdom of heaven. It's a narrow gate. And one thing I want to make very clear from the outset is I want you to examine whether or not you are truly born again. I am convinced that we have many, many, many people, and, and what we're going to see in the text this morning, Jesus is going to bear this out for us, that there are going to be many people who are deceived on the day of judgment. They, they are self-deceived right now. They think they're saved, but they're not really saved. And so this is a call to examination. You know, the Bible never says that we're to take a flippant attitude about our salvation. I am amazed at how cavalier some people are about their salvation. Some people give no thought to their eternal destiny. Uh, Many times people will question their salvation, and the preacher or or uh, a a leader of some sort will say, well, did you pray and ask Jesus to come into your heart? Do you realize that that that, uh, expression, asking Jesus into your heart, is not even really a biblical concept? The biblical concept is repentance In the Greek is metanoia. It means to change your mind, to change your attitude, literally to turn around. So if someone asks me, uh, comes to me with questions about their salvation or doubts about their conversion, my question is, have you repented? Has there been a change of mind? Paul says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Now, that doesn't mean that we become perfect. It doesn't mean that we become sinless. 1 John 1 and 2 tells us this, that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Uh, 1 John 2 says, these things I write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. So I'm I'm not advocating a sinless perfection here. But I am saying that if you have been born again, if you have been truly saved, there's going to be a change in your life. People will be able to see that in you. And let's continue. So, uh, the, the gate is narrow. But I want you to see this also. So is the way. You know, we talk a lot about the narrow gate, the straight gate. But the Bible says that the way is narrow. Notice it says in verse 14, it says, Narrow is the gate and difficult is the way. You know, I, I, I get so frustrated with some of these television preachers, television evangelists, and they make it sound like if you come to Jesus Christ that you'll never have any problems, that, that, that uh, you'll never get sick, that you'll never have any financial difficulty, that you'll never have any, any cares or concerns. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Jesus said that in this world you will have trouble, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, He has overcome the world. God's people are not insulated from trials, it rains on the just and the unjust, God sends uh, the sunshine on the just and the unjust. Many people are asking the wrong question. They're saying, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, I'll tell you why, because the Bible says there's no one good. Paul said that in Romans. He said, there is none good, no, not one. God is the only good one in the world. The real question we ought to ask is, why does good things happen to bad people? And the reason is because God is gracious and He's kind. We talk a lot about the narrow gate, but what about the narrow way? You know, living for Christ is not easy. There there are gonna be people that you're gonna have to leave behind. There's gonna be associations that you're going to have to distance yourself from. You know, it's ironic. We're in this period right now of social distancing, but you know, the Christian, he, he has to do a distancing too from sin. Now, we don't cut ourselves off from the world or else we'd have to leave the world. How are we going to win? Our unsaved loved ones if we have no contact with them but we're not to be unequally yoked together with the world we are not to to walk in the in the works of darkness we're to uh, reprove those things we're to be different Jesus said we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world there ought to be a difference about us your unsaved friends your non-christian friends and neighbors they ought to see that there's something different about you that you're not like the world that you don't follow the devil The way is difficult. The way is narrow. And notice, there's two different destinations. You see, the broad way leads to destruction. It's it's sad, but if Jesus is right, and I trust Him more than I trust what anyone else says, if what Jesus says is true, then the majority of the people on planet Earth are lost. Because He says... Narrow is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life and few there be that find it now That doesn't mean there's only going to be one or two, but it means proportionally speaking That most of the world will be lost Because the broadway is easy the broadway makes no demands. You know what bothers me? We're so politically correct anymore We worry about more than anything else. We worry about people perceiving us as being narrow-minded that's like the world's greatest fear. That's one thing that's killing our country. We're, we don't want anyone to think evil of us. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, woe to the man that everyone speaks well of. Uh, they persecuted the, peop- the, pro- the prophets of God. If you live for God, they're going to speak evil of you. Paul said, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer, suffer persecution. So we need to get over this fear of being disliked. It's going to be the truth. I would rather please God. Then please, man, I, I, I guarantee you somebody's going to get mad about this message I'm preaching today because you'd rather believe that you can do things your own way and that God's going to accept you on your own terms. And I'm telling you that Jesus Christ said the way is narrow and the gate is narrow. Let's go on to verse 15. Now, one thing that makes the Broadway so appealing to people is because of false teachers. You know, false teachers have been in the church since the very first century. Paul warned the Ephesian elders. He said, know this, after my departure, grievous wolves will enter in. They will not spare the flock. He says, they will try to draw disciples after themselves, and they will devour the flock. You see, Satan, from the beginning of time, has operated through lies and deception. And there is deception in the church today. There are many people who have embraced false doctrines and false ideas about God And they are on the broad way. They listen to these guys on television who say that there are no demands placed upon people to go into heaven. If you ever listen to the broadcast on a lot of a lot of these television evangelists, you will hear very little about hell. You will hear very little about repentance. You'll hear a lot about prosperity. You will hear a lot about healing, about success, about miracles. But I want to tell you the truth. Jesus spoke about hell as much as he did about heaven. He spoke about eternal realities more than he did about temporal things. And Jesus said, if you want to know, if you want to test the character of a teacher, if you want to know if he's, uh, if you want to put him to a litmus test, look at the fruit on the tree. Now, earlier in the chapter, verse 1 is probably the world's favorite Bible verse that they love to take out of context. It says, judge not that you be not judged. Well, that means none of us get to play God, right? It's a good thing that we're not God, isn't it? I I take great comfort in the fact that knowing that number one, I'm not God, and number two, that you're not God. That's very comforting to me. And that's all this verse is saying, is that we we can't judge a person's eternal destiny, because only God knows the heart. But do you know that Paul says in the first Corinthians that we are to judge things in the church? Oh, yes. He says, do you not know that we'll judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? Now, there's a dear friend of mine, and she likes to say, well, we don't judge, but we are fruit inspectors. And that's what Jesus is calling us to be, is a fruit inspector. And he says, look, and I'm paraphrasing here. He says, do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Uh, If I were to use another analogy, do orange trees bear apples? Do apple trees bear grapes? No. Every tree bears after its own kind. And so if you claim to be a Christian, then you're going to demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. You can find that in Galatians 5. You know, I'm not going to go through all those, but love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and self-control. Do you exhibit those things? Is there any fruit on the tree? And if there is fruit on the tree, is it good fruit or is it rotten? If you want to know if a teacher is true or not, look at the character of his teaching and look at the fruit of the teaching. Does it lead men to serve God or does it lead men and women to lead to to lead lax lifestyles, to be compromising, to be worldly? If so, it's not of God. I want you to notice the consequences. It says in verse 19, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. He's talking about hell. In verses 13 and 14, he talks about life and destruction. He's talking about heaven and hell. In verses 15 through 20, he's talking about heaven and hell. These are matters of life and death. That's why I'm coming to you with this serious subject matter today. There is no more important decision. There is no more important examination that you need to make today than whether or not you're a true believer. The Apostle Peter said it this way. He says, do your diligence to make your election and your calling sure. You need to know that you know that you know that you're saved. It's not enough to say, oh, I think I'm saved. Yeah, I might be saved. I prayed a prayer. You know, the Bible never tells us To lean on a profession. It never tells us. uh, to, To lean on a profession of faith. It tells us to examine ourselves. Whether or not the proof of our faith. Is in fruit bearing. That's what the Bible teaches. That we're to examine our lives. To see if we bear fruit. And again I'm not preaching works righteousness. We are saved by grace. Through faith. It is the gift of God. Not of works lest any man should boast. But here's what James says about faith. It says that we are saved by faith without works of the law but faith we are saved by faith alone but faith that truly saves is never alone james says faith without works is dead just as the body without the spirit is dead so i'm going to ask you is your faith alive is it real has there been a change have you repented of your sins do you live for god or is there no difference between you and the world. Now we get to verse 21, and for me personally, as a pastor, I find this to be one of the most ominous passages of Scripture in all of the Word of God. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Now, all of this is is very common in Hebraic teaching. We're seeing the two ways, the the antithetical parallelism. We're seeing the uh, the repetition of the phrase Lord, Lord. This is someone who is well acquainted with who Jesus Christ is. Do you realize that e- even the false religions of the world, they have some kind of a concept of Jesus? Even the Muslims have respect for Jesus as a teacher. Many of the false religions believe that Jesus was a prophet, that he was a miracle worker, that you know, he was a, a, a virtuous individual. And so, but, but I want you to see here that the person in this particular passage, That they're involved in ministry this is what terrifies me not everyone who says to me Lord Lord you see here's the difference between the sayer and the doer the talker and the Walker it's not enough to say Jesus is Lord it's not enough to just say yes I've asked Jesus into my heart you will not be judged on whether or not you made a profession with your mouth yes that is the starting point no doubt We confess, we believe in our heart, we confess with our mouth. Without a doubt, we have to have a starting point, yes. But notice this. Not the one who says, Lord, Lord, but the one who actually does the will of my Father in heaven. The one who lives for God. Notice verse 22. Do you see that word, many, many? That is frightening. That means there's going to be a lot of people who have gone to church their whole life, people who have preached in the pulpit, people who have taught Sunday school, people who have sang in the choir, people who have gone to youth group meetings, people who have gone witnessing door to door, people who have attended revivals and religious gatherings, and yet they will go to hell in the last days. Isn't that terrifying thought? Look what they say. These people are genuinely perplexed, I don't understand, Lord. Lord, Lord, notice the repetition here. Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many wonderful things in your name? And he said, I will declare unto you, I never knew you. You see, you could do all kinds of religious activity. Don't ever gauge your relationship with God based on numerical success in ministry. Don't ever do it. Don't And this is a caution for every ministry too. Be careful bragging about all the stuff that you do. I hear ministers all the time. Oh, I've led X amount of people to Jesus Christ. I've led thousands of people. Uh, Our church has done this. We've done that. We've won millions of souls. You know, really only God knows if those people are saved or not. And with us bragging, we're putting ourselves in bad company. We're putting ourselves with these guys here in Matthew 7. They're involved in ministry. Lord, If we cast out demons in your name? So, and, and, and here's the other thing. They're so deceived, they're doing all of these things without even realizing that they've not been converted. I want to ask you this, Christian teacher, deacon, elder, leader. Yes, you may be doing great things for God, but have you been born again? Have you been changed? Is Jesus Christ alive in your heart? Have you been born again? Is the Spirit of God leading you? He says, depart from me, you who work lawlessness. The King James says, iniquity. The Greek word means without law. Those who are without law. Those who refuse any restraint. Those who say, oh yeah, I I believe in Jesus, but I live like I want to. I believe in Jesus, but don't put any restrictions on me. I'm going to act like the world, think like the world, look like the world, go to the same places the world goes to, watch the same kind of junk they watch, talk just like they do. That is not biblical Christianity. Let's go to the final example. 24, he says, therefore, this is is the culmination here. This is the, the conclusion. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain's descended, the flood's come. The winds blow and beat on the house, and it didn't fall, for it was founded on the rock. Everyone who hears the sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew, beat on the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Now, I have frequently heard this passage of Scripture taught as if it is two Christians uh, dealing with trials in their life. And yes, there is a biblical truth that bad things happen to Christians as well as unbelievers okay this is not what this passage of Scripture is teaching this is not teaching how Christians handle adversity this, that's not what this is about keep in mind the context okay in the straight gate and the narrow gate the, the, the straight gate leads to what life the Broadway leads to what hell the good tree the good fruit and the bad fruit the good tree produces fruit The bad tree is what? Thrown into the fire. It's heaven and hell. Look at the professor and uh, the one who possesses, the sayer and the doer. Notice the sayer, he says, Lord, Lord, but where does he go? He goes into hell. But the one who does the will of the Father, he goes to where? To heaven. The same thing is true here. The one who builds his foundation on the rock, he's going to heaven. The one who builds his foundation on the sand, Great was the fall. Notice in the end of verse 27, great was its fall. This is in the final day of judgment. He will be eternally lost. And so there's an accountability here. There's there's an importance here. Some people say, well, I've heard the word of God. You know, there's a lot of people who like good preaching. The scripture says even Herod Antipas, and he was a wicked man, but he enjoyed John the Baptist. He enjoyed Jesus Christ. There's a lot of people that are not saved who are entertained or amused, even intrigued by religion. There's a lot of unsaved people that know more about the Bible than many Christians do. There's a lot of people who are, uh, who are fascinated with religious things. But that doesn't make them a Christian. What makes a person truly saved is not just hearing the Word of God, but actually putting it into practice. The one who hears the sayings of Jesus and the one who lives them out he is the one whose house is built on a rock he's the one that will hear well done thou good and faithful servant you've been faithful in a few things be ruler over many so i'm asking you today what kind of foundation are you building on because one day each and every one of us is going to stand before god and we're going to give an account of ourselves to the lord and the only thing that's going to matter is if we have made Jesus Christ the Lord of our life. James says, if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who beholds himself in a mirror, and he goes his way and he forgets what he looks like. He says, this man's religion is vain. But if we have true saving faith, we will not only say, Lord, Lord, but there will be a change. So I want to ask you this, dear friend. Have you entered in by the narrow gate? On that last day, it won't matter what your friends think. It won't matter what your family did. It won't matter what anybody else does. The only thing that's going to matter is did you, did you as an individual make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? Was there ever a change? As Jesus said to Nicodemus, have you ever been born again? Can you ever point to a time when old things passed away and all things became new? If you cannot point to that at that point in time where there was a change, where you turned, when you repented of your sin and you turned toward God, then maybe you're not truly saved. I'm going to invite you today. And no, I'm not talking out of both sides of my mouth. I believe there has to be a starting point. But if what I have said has pricked you in your heart, if you feel conviction, if you feel that god is drawing you if you are ready to surrender your life today if you're ready to make jesus not just savior but lord i want you to pray this prayer with me in just a moment maybe you're maybe you're just not sure of your salvation maybe you're you're, you're involved in ministry maybe you've been a deacon in your church or you've been a sunday school teacher or or or, or, or a music leader or a, you know some kind of respected person in your church And you you think to yourself, well, what will people think if I say that I haven't been saved? I'll tell you what people will think. They'll say, to God be the glory. I'll be happy for you. More importantly, God will be thrilled and the angels in heaven will rejoice. You know, the Bible says that there is rejoicing in heaven. The angels rejoice when one person, just one person, when one person turns to God. Will you make heaven happy today? Will you make the angels dance and rejoice today? Will you ask God to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, to make you a new creation? If that's your desire, I want you to pray this prayer with me right now. Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I confess that I'm a sinner. I repent of my sins. I confess Jesus as Savior and as Lord. I want to be born again. I pray that you would send the Holy Spirit to live inside of me, to change me from the inside out. I believe that Jesus died and rose again. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I call on the name of the Lord, and I believe that I am saved by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, please tell someone. Reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you and to pray with you and to help you on your journey. One final thing, this Wednesday, I'm going to be continuing with teaching uh, on the Olivet Discourse. People are curious about the end times and the Bible has answers about the end times. So I invite you to turn with me uh, to join me on Wednesday night as we'll be looking at Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse. Also, I hope that we'll be able to gather again soon. And thankfully, it seems as if things are turning around in this country. And I want to make one very important statement. As as we see the numbers beginning to plateau and decline of the coronavirus in this country, let's be careful to give God the glory. Oh yes, I'm, I'm thankful for everyone that's practicing social distancing, washing their hands, doing their part to prevent the virus. But there have been millions of Christians all over this world praying for God to help this country. And By all means, let's give God the praise and the glory for what he's doing. And let's pray he will completely eliminate this virus from our land and heal us and turn us back to God. Until next time, God bless you.